welcome to the nerd party. Maximum warp. Punch it. Punch it. Punch it, Bishop. Punch it. Punch that shit. Let's punch it. Hello, everybody at home, and welcome. This is Punch It, writing in Star Trek. I am your host, Tristan Riddell, and with me, as always, is... Charlene Schmidt. Charlene Schmidt, it is so good to see your face today. I needed to see your face today because I've been down a little bit lately. You know, it's just like, I needed, I needed to pick me up. Not, nothing, nothing crazy, nothing crazy, just a, a little, bit of the, little bit of the morning blues. Okay, I, I feel you there. I'm oh, kind yeah. of just at a low energy level tonight. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I've been feeling it, too. But whenever I hit record, whenever I hit the, the little red button on my computer and put the mic in front of my face, I feel energized again because I love talking to our audience because I feel like we have some of the best audience out there. We definitely have loyal and wonderful and interactive listeners. They always give us good feedback. Every week, we get a nice little handful. And sometimes it's the same people. Sometimes it's new people. It's this interesting kind of circular mix honestly, of people giving us feedback, which is a lot of fun because we never know entirely what we're going to get. And this week, we are taking a listener's suggestion because that is one thing that we do. You can write into us, and if you have an idea for a show topic that you want us to discuss, we will entertain it. So I'm super excited to be talking about this because it is a listener's suggestion. They think of things that we don't. Now, before we get into the suggestion, I mean, something that's been becoming kind of a ritual for us because we record the day after Discovery airs, we've been kind of having no spoiler intros. And so I have to know, what what did you think of last night's episode? I mean, we got some big reveals. A lot of crazy stuff happened. There was a lot packed into one episode. So I got to know. I got to know. What did you think? I'm just about to run and duck incoming objects because I haven't seen it yet. Charlene Allison Schmidt. I cannot believe <laughs> that is not that my you... middle name. <laughs> I cannot believe that you did not watch Star Trek Discovery. A diehard I, fan like you. I, I know, I know, I know. It was a huge sacrifice. Let me explain what happened. <laughs> Last night, my husband and I, we were in LA. We went into WeHo to Bar Lubitsch to go hear Greg Proops, one of my favorite comedians, record his podcast, The Smartest Man in the World. It's something he does live on occasion when he's in LA. He actually travels all over the country and does this at comedy clubs and whatnot. But he was in Bar Lubitsch yesterday. We had to go. I, I absolutely adore it. It's this little intimate environment. It's a little back room of this bar. And maybe a hundred people are in there, tops, tops. So you're right up there. It's such an amazing thing to watch him because you know he's a real pro just watching him Mm -hmm. practice his craft. He has absolute control over that room and it's so much fun because random things happen, you know, and you just, you take it and he makes something incredibly hilarious out of it. And so it's so much fun. We had to go. At the expense of watching Star Trek Discovery because we had to leave right about when the episode was released to get there in time, (laughs) do a little dinner, get over there and then the show. And then by the time we got home, it was it was too late. We were tired. We needed to feed the cats and go to bed. So as soon as we are done here, (laughs) as soon as we are done here. I'm going to go make a little bit of lunch and we're going to watch Star Trek Discovery. And I cannot wait because I've been on Twitter blackout, all the social blackout. I've not talked to anybody via text or anything. I'm like, dude, I can't. Not yet. 
talk to me tomorrow. And so I cannot wait to watch this episode because, oh my gosh, it's, I mean, I mean I've heard already that it's explosive. I don't know what happens, but I've heard it's big. <laughs> well, it's a good thing that I didn't text you last night because I almost texted you out of habit saying like, wasn't that crazy? <laughs> All I would have said is not right now. Sorry. <laughs> Next time I'll, I'll, uh, since I know you're not as diehard as you like to think you are, I oh, won't leave with it. a spoiler. <laughs> shut it. Next no. week I'll be front and center in front of my TV at 515. Well, all joking aside, uh, we've talked about Greg Proops before on the show, or maybe our old show, we talked about him. Now, you actually got to be on one of his podcasts as a uh, as an audience member who asked a question, and didn't you ask a Star Trek question? <laughs> I absolutely did. This was way back in 2012 when he actually did take questions from the audience. They don't really do that anymore. So the question that I asked was, uh, I think like a, the week or two before the episode that I was on was recorded... Somebody had asked him Kirk or Picard, and I don't remember his answer, but the more important question was, hey, what if you put in Janeway and Cisco and Archer in the mix? He had to admit that he hadn't watched all of the Star Trek shows. So much for being the smartest man in the world, sir. So I got him. I stumped the smartest man in the world. And, you know, and, and, and kudos to you, because uh, I remember you actually I got to listen to that episode. And I was like, I know her. I know her. <laughs> Those were back in the days when we lived in Fargo. So we went over to Minneapolis when he was recording at a club there and did that whole thing. That was the very first time I got to meet him. And he's a chill dude. He's a lot of fun, very personable, always willing to entertain, you know, a hello or if you want an autograph, a photo, yada, yada, yada. Good times. It's always cool. a pleasure. Very, very cool. So let's go ahead and move into our topic because our topic is about Q. Now, we're going to be talking about Q in a general sense of how he's written, how he might have changed, how John Delancey maybe have tackled the character, everything like that. But this was all spurred because of an audience suggestion, like you mentioned at the top of the show. So how about you talk about that audience suggestion? Yeah, sure. Okay, so this is from a listener named Kate H. And she has a couple of prompts in a way for us that we'll tackle a little bit later regarding Voyager. Now we just talked Voyager really hardcore last week, but Q is a part of Voyager, so we are going to discuss that, but I thought it would be a very good idea to open it up to Q at large because he was a heavy part of TNG. He was mm -hmm. on DS9 that one time. <laughs> and so let's discuss that first and then when we get to the Voyager stuff, we'll address some of Kate's ideas. So why don't we start with good old TNG where it all began for Q? I mean, episode one, this guy shows up as the nemesis. Yeah, he's been in, the character of Q has been in 12 episodes of Star Trek and the most were in TNG and he started it all with the rejuvenation of Star Trek in 87. He was there at the beginning, like you said, for Encounter at Farpoint. And I think I remember reading that Gene Ronberry actually invented Q because he needed a plot device to fill the gaps between <laughs> yep. what the original storyline was and what we ultimately saw. Because originally it was just the Farpoint storyline and no Q. And Paramount said like, okay, you got to make it two hours and you fill in the gaps. You know, like stretch it out as much as you can. <laughs> and so Gene Roddenberry's <laughs> like, okay, I'll choose an omnipotent being. And, uh, and then that way I can do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> What a heck of a way to fill out that episode. I cannot imagine Encounter at Farpoint without the Q storyline. The Farpoint yeah. stuff, eh, you know, 
he could have beefed it up a little better. It could have maybe been a little more than it actually was. But without Q, man, that pilot, man, I don't know. Yeah, that's the thing is that no one really likes to admit this. And I feel like we've talked about this a couple times on the show when we've talked about the writing of of the pilots and uh, and or the captains and everything like that. And Encounter at Farpoint, even though TNG is one of the best, if not the best Star Trek show in a lot of people's lists and in a lot overall, of people's minds yeah. overall, Encounter at Farpoint is the worst pilot <laughs> out of all of them, hands down, it's hands tough. down. Yeah. It really is. They definitely had improved as the years went on. Now, there was a lot of, well, not a lot, but there was some disagreement on whether or not the Q thing should happen. It was Gene Roddenberry's idea, but I think he had some pushback from the other writers on staff saying, you introduce this element, you really can do anything. And that is both the charm and the danger of it you have the deus ex machina territory right from the very beginning are you sure it's it is tough terrain to to navigate because once you bring in god god can do anything right yeah and if cues are not gods themselves they're at least godlike they have unlimited power and ability you know what i'm saying (laughs) yes 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 but i do want to make that distinction because we do not worship them (laughs) <laughs> no, as although much as some, they might want us to. <laughs> although I'm sure that some cultures do. Sure. I remember a, a, a passing reference where Q, specifically our Q, was worshipped or seen as kind of like a Loki type character, the trickster. You know, this mm. this omnipotent being who kind of wreaks havoc. And I always thought that was really fascinating because if he's eternal and ageless and been around since the beginning of time, uh, he's gonna he's gonna start some shenanigans. Now, well, sure, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. As I was looking through some of these episodes, and you know that I'm a huge I'm a huge Q fan. Like I am for Q all the way. Like I, I love Q episodes. I think there's very few poor Q episodes. Even the mediocre ones are still entertaining. Absolutely. And yes. I I think the worst one was probably in Deep Space Nine, but we'll get to that. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just as you and I were talking about the concept of looking at it from a writer's perspective and a character perspective, how did he change? How did he evolve? And a lot of people would would think that he, at the beginning, was much more malevolent. He was much meaner, and he would cause confusion and death and destruction way more than he did later on in the series. And to a certain extent, I think that might be true. But I think the way that he morphs is very much... It's not the 180 that we think it is. I think it's he I think he stayed very consistent throughout the show. Because yeah, with Hayden Q, you know, he showed like Worf dying and Wesley dying and everything like that and it was kind of gruesome. And with Q who, he introduced the Borg and a lot of people died because of that, of course. And then when you get towards Cupid and True Q and everything like that, it gets a little bit more jokey. It gets yes. antics and things like that. But then we start we get back to it in Tapestry and All Good Things and Death Wish and everything like that. And so, like, we still, even though he gets more jokey as he goes on, he doesn't completely abandon his serious side. You're right. I think he starts off very serious with the trial and humanity. He could potentially just put humanity out with a snap of his finger. But there is that nice dichotomy where John Delancey maybe had something to do with this, where he's such a great performer that... While Q has a very serious and maybe sinister side, there's also the comic relief aspect 
And yeah. they, they played that very nicely on TNG, I thought, where there is a little bit of both at all times. I mean, he's always dangerous. You never know what he's going to do because he can do anything. But the interesting thing, I think, with Q is that sometimes he does put the crew in actual real danger. Other times it's just a farce for maybe maybe for joking's sake. Mm-hmm. And so they have this really interesting mix of kind of the funnier, lighthearted episodes where everybody plays dress up on set and everything, like the Robin Hood costumes. But mm-hmm. then you have something really deep, like tapestry, where Q is kind of acting as a guide for Picard. You know, it's his continued mission to guide humanity, or at least Picard at the very least, into being a better person. And even in those serious episodes like Tapestry and like All Good Things, you still have the jokes. You still have the lightheartedness. Like in you Tapestry, do. even though we were dealing with a captain who was literally on his deathbed and who was going back and like we see a, like a knife go through his heart and he's talking about the future of his career and future of his life and, and, and like talking about one man's importance in the galaxy. There's also a scene where Q wakes up in bed with Jean-Luc Picard and <laughs> right. comes in and brings flowers for Jean-Luc Picard. I mean, that's hilarious. <laughs> it not, absolutely is. Yes. Not many people can balance that, but John Delancey can. And even in, in Encounter at Farpoint, he puts all of humanity on trial and people's lives are at stake here. He still is dressed up like a monk and he's like, blasphemy, I shall forgive you. You know, like it's it's funny. Yes, it, Q really lo- does love to uh, play for a variety of characters for I think maybe his own amusement more than anything. Oh, definitely. I think that's the motivation behind everything is that even when he wants to teach people certain things it's for his own amusement it's not for the betterment of mankind it's just because he wants to see if he can do it so you don't think he has maybe a more vested interest in humanity at large because if you think about it why is he not picking on other races more we certainly don't hear about it if if the continuum at large is and i mean we know that they wreak havoc here and there but especially this cue has a vested interest in humanity for some reason. Now, the theory, of course, has been for a long time that he's in love with Jean-Luc Picard. I think, I wouldn't say love is in romantic because, you know, with Q, I mean, he can he can be with anything and anyone that he wants in any form. He could even, you know, like be an amoeba if he wanted to be. Yeah. I, I think even Data addressed it one time in one episode where he said he's like i think he even discounted uh, romantic or, or maybe not specifically romantic but he did say it's like it's more like a master and his beloved pet okay yes yes but there is something there for sure why is he taking jean-luc on these various quests missions you always kind of have to wonder with q what is the real motive I always thought that it was Q finding Picard interesting because, as we've talked about several times before on the show, with TNG, they're on their Federation flagship. And on the Federation flagship, you have the bridge crew. And on the bridge crew, captaining the ship, you have Jean-Luc Picard. So you have the best of the best of the best representing the best of humanity. So in a certain frame of mind and in certain terms, Jean-Luc Picard is the best that humanity has to offer. Yeah. Maybe I can rephrase that. He's the representative of the best of what humanity has to offer. That's a good way of putting it because he really is. He's going out there and he's the very first point of contact for a lot of stuff that he's encountering out there. And so since humans are now going to deep space and this new mission, this ongoing mission instead of a five-year mission, it piqued Q's interest 
and because humanity is finally going out there. Like, they were just testing the waters with Archer, and Kirk was going crazy within his own realm, but it wasn't until Picard where they started testing their own boundaries of where they could go and who they could talk to. And I think that piqued Q's interest, and then he fixated on Picard because he was the tip of the sword. And ever since then, he was fat. I think he absolutely has a vested interest over other species, but of course we don't see that, and it's 20th century tv making and so we can't see everything but sure clearly i mean like when you go to deja q when um they were like okay you have a millisecond to decide what mortal form you're going to take he chose human so clearly he has an inclination yeah i think the whole impetus of q maybe taking an interest in humanity aside from the very selfish aspect of the fact that this is written by humans for humans we're selfish people we want to talk about ourselves Mm -hmm. and we are always the protagonist aside from that whole thing yeah i think maybe we know that the q continuum since they've done everything they're a little bored they see humans pushing their boundaries maybe humans are the race that are going places and q wants to kind of move that along nudge it a little bit and and with picard being the the leader at the forefront of all of that that's where that fascination comes but also i kind of wonder i mean q are not exactly the most responsible, omnipotent beings. They are not the most ethical. They are a lot like humanity, just with more power. Mm-hmm. Maybe they see a lot of themselves in us. It's kind of that parent-child, mentoring, guiding sort of thing, help you ascend to the next level. Maybe they want humanity to join them. I think that's definitely an interesting perspective. Do you feel like the writing lends itself to that idea by maybe by the time we get to Voyager? Or do you think it was uh, the writing reinforced it in TNG? You know, I think by the time you get to All Good Things, it's definitely subliminally there. Okay. Maybe they're not addressing it head on, but there's definitely some hints that that's what the writers are saying or what the writers are wanting or that's the message we're supposed to be receiving. I mean, that's what I got out of it. I don't know. <laughs> or am I just this totally weird aberration? No, I think that's a, I think that's definitely a theory. I mean, I think that's. A, I think you could go to the text and the writing and, and, and get some backup for that theory. I may not be as gung-ho about it as you, but I'm definitely not discounting it at all. Fair enough. With All Good Things, when you were talking about that, it made me think of the last court scene in All Good Things where the Enterpri- we think all the Enterprises blow up and you know like into the spatial anomaly and everything like that and then we see picard on the ground kind of like almost in the fetal position and mm. and then q is there everybody's gone it's just q it's just picard and he's talking about it and he said he's like all right you did it you saved your ship and he's taken off his gloves he's like for a brief moment you expanded your consciousness possibilities of existence exactly exactly and so i think if anything supports that claim that you just made it would be that because why why would Q care about that other than right. this moves beyond just uh, amusing himself because this is investment and growth. Yeah, this even goes beyond, I think, the trial on humanity. Yeah, this is, this is a trial on Picard. And yeah. So I think, which is, can be one and the same, and I think it is one and the same, but you see so much focus on Picard from Q. Some of the best writing in the show was in the series finale and that is so rare there's so <laughs> utterly rare and in and even q himself when like where he popped up in the show and where he didn't 
as in the the series finale, like when he popped up in the future, when he popped up in the past, and when he popped up in the present, and the lines that he gave in Fed Picard is just like those last lines and how they were written is just like a like I'll see you out there, and then he just yes arms out away. arms out yeah, so yeah. backing perfect. away slowly yes. Now moving on to DS Nine, the one brief appearance that he makes, he gets punched by Ben Sisko and decides, well, that's enough of that. Yeah, I think we've talked about this before, and from a writing <laughs> standpoint, I think their only connection was Vosh because that was yeah. his. That's how he left the episode in Cupid, and then we see Vosh again in Qless, and they were trying to work out the chemistry with Cisco, and it just wasn't there. It no. just didn't click, and with TNG, you have this investment in humanity, and the trial is going on. He's fascinated by Picard. And with Deep Space Nine, he doesn't have any of that. It's just Vosh. Vosh just happens right. to be on Deep Space Nine. And so it was really just a stopover. It was just, it was a roadside stop on the highway onward to Voyager. And <laughs> Yeah, it was an experiment just to see if it would work. And then when it really didn't, they very wisely decided no more. And they used, I mean, they used Q sparingly even on TNG, you know, maybe once a season yeah, just it was about. very good of them to realize, even though he's a fan favorite, it's not going to work on this show. And then when we get to Voyager, guess what? We got that chemistry again. And that that was a beautiful thing because the only season that we didn't get Q on TNG was season five. That's it. That's the only season. And wow. with Voyager, I think you had that investment again because it wasn't just a roadside stop. With Voyager, you had a reason for Q to be interested because... What caused humanity to become an interest in Q in the first place in Encounter at Four Point? They reached out further than they ever had before. And so when he strum- stumbles upon a crew of humans from you know Starfleet and from the Federation in the Delta Quadrant trying to make their way home, that's interesting. That's fascinating. How is humanity going to interact in the Delta Quadrant? Because there's no Klingons, there's no Romulans, there's no Ferengi, even though there was of all of those. <laughs> <laughs> right. Audience, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yes, but yes. It's, it's all new. And so how are they going to interact with people? What kind of damage is going to be done? What kind of footprint are they going to leave in the Delta Quadrant? And to an omnipotent species, that's fascinating, I think. And the ship is commanded by this feisty, beautiful redhead. And how could how can Q resist that? So one of Kate's questions, our listener who submitted this whole idea, spawned this idea, is she wants to know... Did Q nudge Voyager on its way home for its eventual return? Because, hello, dangling the carrot here, you have an omnipotent being who could get them home in the blink of an eye. Again, this is really dangerous ground. Do you or don't you? Ultimately, they decided you do. And then then the question is, how do you do it? Because you have to kind of entice that. You have to tease it just a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Which... I actually think the writers did this beautifully. They played around with it just enough, but not to the point of, okay, wow, really? Sort of like when every you know two-parter was Borg, 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 Borg. It got a little boring. Had they played with Q, I think, more than they did on Voyager, same deal. Just you strip away the mystery, the power, just the fun of it. I could have done with a little bit more Q, on Voyager. Really? I, I really could have because we got him in season two, season three, and then season seven. So there's a big gap in between when we got him. And yeah. 
and we got them we got them once or twice a season in TNG and I thought that was a perfect mix and because we got such great chemistry in Death Wish and the Q and the Gray I feel like it could have happened but regardless I, I think you're absolutely right about I would rather them underuse him than overuse him like they did with the Borg so yeah yeah I think I'm fine with that but with the a lot of people have asked why introduce Q into the Delta Quadrant? Why introduce Q to the Voyager crew and Catherine Janeway when he literally has the power to send them home with the snap of his fingers? And I say, yes, he has that ability, but he wouldn't use it because that's cheating. That's no fun. L- look <laughs> look at what he did in TNG. Look what he did in Counter at Farpoint and all good things. He didn't give the answer to Picard. He didn't give the questions to the test. He made him figure it out on his own, but then let him know when he was right. This is not a being who spoon feeds you. This is a being who makes you do things on your own so that you grow and figure it out yourself. So it would be the very antithesis of his character to give it to them freely. Yes, but I have to point out he did offer to bring Voyager home in Death Wish if Janeway would succumb to his point of view. He would get his way. That would not have been satisfying at all for us as an audience and certainly a little anticlimactic maybe even for the crew coming home because then, I mean, forgive me the way I'm going to put this, then you're just, you're Q's bitch. You have to succumb to his every whim because he's done this massive favor for you. Well, I don't think it's even so much that and that's why I use the qualifier of give it to you freely. Like... Okay, I miss the importance of that word. Yeah, the importance of that word is freely. He doesn't. He wouldn't give it to you freely. You either have to figure it out yourself, and he'll let you know if you're on the right path, or you have to do something for him. And that's what I meant by that. Because in Death Wish, I mean, there was great. Like this was a once in a lifetime thing. This was a once in a, an existence type thing because a Q was going to kill himself, and. RQ, John Delancey, wanted to prevent that. That's never happened before. And so I think in order to prevent that from happening and send some menial, you know, mammals home 70,000 light years <laughs> at the snap of his fingers, yeah, he could totally do that if it gets him what he wants. But if it yeah, doesn't, yeah. he's not going to give it to you. And that's why I'm saying that because, and also it's season two. It, I mean, it's. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, they, I think they knew going in, they would eventually have to address this potentially bringing Q on the show. They did not waste a whole lot of time. I think they did it as soon as they thought they could get away with it once they had a script that they liked. So to answer Kate's question, did Q nudge Voyager home? I would say absolutely not because of what you just said. He made them work for it. He did not help them out despite the offer. If anything, he did nudge along the determination to get home at first. Now with Q2 though in season seven, You have the reverse where it's not Q offering to bring them home. You have Janeway saying, hey, look, I did you a favor. Maybe you can help me out. And he says, no, 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 no. That would be too easy. But you you might be forgetting that he did help them get home a little bit because he gave them some information that would trim a few years off of their trip. That's true. So, okay, that is actually a real physical nudge. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, like he literally helped them get home, but not he. But he didn't do it all the way. And that, and the Janeway asked that question, like you said, she asked that question, like why not send us all the way? And he's like, well, you know, what would be the fun in that? Or oh, you want me to do everything for you? You know, he answers it in a very <laughs> Q like way, reinforcing his character from TNG. Now, what would you have thought if they had used Q in the Voyager finale and brought them home? Because I think a lot of Ugh. us at first 
you know, maybe with the show starting thinking, oh, guess what's going to happen at the very end? They're going to use Q to bring him home because that's the most obvious choice. I think that's really, really obvious. That is way too deus ex machina. And I'm glad they didn't because I don't know how you could do that and still make it exciting. That would have been a horrible, horrible idea. Just absolutely atrocious. That would potentially ruin the show for me because utilizing Q to get home at the end, utilizing him in a two-hour finale, Where? wait, where have we seen that before? You know, it's just... Right. It would be too reductive and repetitive and just unneeded and it just it's magical and some people might say that about endgame where like oh they found a borg hub and they could just go through a magic tube and then get home well they had to work for it you know they had to earn it they had to fight for it they had to figure that out whereas with q also yes humanity is on trial but that was really a q and picard thing q and janeway have a very different relationship how are you going to do something that kind of that epic, that big like they did on mm-hmm. TNG and make it work on Voyager, I don't think you can because the nature of the relationship between those two characters just doesn't mesh the same. No, no, not at all. And also, if you look at the power dynamics between Picard and Q and Q and Janeway, Janeway, I feel, gets the upper hand most of the time, more often than Picard does. Certainly Janeway fights back a lot more and mm-hmm. shows him who's boss. Because if you look at Death Wish, she's the one who's the decider. She's the one who figures out, can he become human? Can he not? And in the Q and the Gray, she's the interloper. She's the one who helps end the war. She's the one who helps Q. He's injured. She takes him along, tries to go and wave the white flag and talk to the superiors. And in Q2, she's the one bringing in his son. She's the one mentoring him and putting him on the right path. And in Picard, he's just kind of along for the ride once you take out Deja Q. It's very true. I mean, if anything, and not to say this to the detriment of Picard, because he did teach Q things, but Janeway, I think, did a much bigger job of that, of where, yeah, she did take command of that situation, and she, she taught Q a lot more than he taught her. Yeah, yeah. Which, for an omnipotent being, what the hell, dude? It just shows how beautifully written not just in dialogue, but in the themes about how it is, is because we have Picard, who is what, uh, how I've described him earlier in the show as the representative of the best of humanity, and he's still learning a lot. And then you have Voyager, where Janeway is the only representation of humanity, and she's forceful enough to get home by any means necessary. And so she won't let anybody stop her. And so because of that, it's an interesting dichotomy, and also because she's the first female captain leading a show, we don't want to see her in a power dynamic that makes her look weak or too dependent mm-hmm. on on somebody to get her home instead of pulling herself up by her own bootstraps. Maybe I'm reading into it. I don't know. No, that was such a big thing with Voyager. They had to portray her as always having the right answer, always doing the right thing to get the crew home. She could not make mistakes, that sort of thing. The other thing I want to point out was by the time we got to the Q continuum at large on Voyager, we had learned that this continuum had sort of lost its way. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're going into civil war for crying out loud. An omnipotent species is still using war as a way of figuring out its problems. That's a very humanity kind of thing to be doing. It's pretty 
interesting. Even though I enjoy the episode, even though the Q and the Gray, I think is a great episode. It's a lot of fun. We get to learn more about uh, about the Q continuum and everything like that. I would have rather we left it alone in Death Wish. I thought that was fun with the road and with the boredom and the scarecrow and everything like that. It uh-huh. just it left it a bit more to the imagination and a bit more to the fact that yes, they do communicate. Yes, they are a culture. They are together in a lot of things, but they're still their own island. You know, they, they go off and do their own things. With the Q and the Gray, it felt much more like a culture we could relate to where they have higher ups, they have bosses, they have death, they have guns. It just didn't feel like an upper echelon omnipotent being society. You feel like they would have evolved beyond that nonsense. And it just... You would think, right? Yeah. Because that seems like a very basic human hierarchical structure that we use. But would an omnipotent race not have better systems, more complex systems maybe? It just it felt like it was way too stripped down just to make it relatable to a larger audience. And a lot of people complained about that. I remember that when that episode came out. And I'd have to, I mean, I have to concede that point, but it's still, I still enjoy the episode. And this is really just an afterthought and after debating this for 20 years and (laughs) and everything like that. Yeah, no, I agree. Some of the larger themes really are interesting and they had to put all these systems in place to make that come out. So as we kind of wind down here, as we look back at the entire career of Q in Star Trek, do you have a favorite written moment of Q? Mm. An, es- an especially uh, nice line of dialogue or a well-written scene. This is writing in Star Trek. So does anything pop into your brain? Well, okay. The first thing that came to my mind was uh, actually a, a moment that you pointed out earlier was in Tapestry. The you know flowers. Is there a Jean-Luc Picard here? <laughs> Just uh, Tapestry stands out to me as one of my very favorite TNG episodes because it has all of the best of Q. It's got Q teaching Picard a little bit of a lesson. It's got some hilarious lines, great dialogue, and it's a very very good story. You get it all. It's it's the complete Q package. You know, it's like I think when you want a Q episode, this has got every component. It's a complete meal. Mm-hmm. The other one that comes to mind is Death Wish, where uh, they're in the road in the desert and that sort of thing. And that's that's kind of Janeway's reaction. This is the Q continuum, really? And he has the line, oh, we've all been the scarecrow. I love that line, yeah. That describes the Q, <laughs> kind of in a nutshell, if you understand who they are. How about you? What are some of your favorites? What stands out? I think... My top one is one that I've already described, and that's the final courtroom scene in All Good Things between Mm. Picard and Q. It's just the way it's written, the way it's shot, the way it's edited, especially the way that it's acted by John Delancey. If this wasn't a sci-fi show, John Delancey would have gotten the Best Guest Actor Emmy, hands down, for this scene alone. It was absolutely perfect. It could not have ended the show better. And it was all, not all thanks, but in a big portion thanks to John Delancey and his skill and his interpretation, as well as the script, of course. Sure, sure, but it takes a talented actor to really balance all of these things with this kind of a character. I feel like they did overall develop him pretty decently, though. And then with John Delancey's talents, he kind of just smoothed it all out and made it work. Absolutely. More often than not. You know, I feel like overall, <laughs> Q episodes can be kind of hit or miss. Some of them are not that good at all. Others are just stand out amazing good. 
Overall, though, I think the winning record is way higher than I, not. I think it skews higher. I think the average is very high with winning Q episodes. Totally. All right. Well, uh, folks, uh, that is uh, very much our episode. And what we would love to hear from you guys is what do you think of Q? How do you think he was written? Do you think he was written well? Do you, do you think that he was consistent like we think he was? Or do you think that he kind of jumped all over the place? One way to let us know is by writing us an email. You can go to the nerdparty.com slash contact. So like punch it from the drop down menu, fill out the form. It'll send us an email. And you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram all ways that you can contact us. You can also find me personally on Twitter at the insane Robin. And you can find me at Oh, the profanity. And also if you're liking what we're doing, if you like what's uh, what we're talking about and you enjoy listening to us, please consider taking just a minute of your time out of your day. Go to iTunes, give us a review. If you give us a five-star review, we'll mention you on the show. Now, Char, do you have any idea what we're going to do next week? You know, if I were an omnipotent being, I would know, but I'm not. So I don't. But I do know this, that no matter what it is, we're going to punch it. Ready for warp, sir. Let's punch it. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.